Kia ora and welcome to Te Haringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington, the podcast. In July 2023, we held an alumni breakfast event featuring a panel discussion about stepping into your first management role. Led by Dr. Ben Walker from the university's School of Management, the panel featured Leanne Ng, Executive HR at Habit Health, and Nick Barkley, Manager, Ministerial Services at the Department of Corrections. In this podcast, you'll hear them discuss how to demonstrate your leadership potential, develop an outstanding team culture, and how to best become and develop as a manager and leader. Kia ora koutou, no mai, hoki mai. Um, so great to see so many of our wonderful alumni here with us bright and early this morning. I hope you're all enjoying being back on campus. In my experience, it tends to bring back either really positive, nostalgic memories or darker memories of trying to finish assignments, you know, in the last few hours before they're due. Um, so I hope all of you are at least, you know, uh, pleased to be here back on campus. Did anyone study at this particular campus? A few people, oh, quite a few people. And I guess everyone else was up at either Kelvin or maybe Karori. Um Well, great to have you here anyway for this event, Stepping Into Management, um, called Ben Walker Takuingua, ko te iwi. I'm a senior lecturer here in the School of Management. Makes sense. Um, My research and teaching kind of focus on the people side of management, so I'm very interested in the sort of social and psychological aspects of work, things related to motivation, maybe something we'll talk about today, um, self-perception, all those sorts of things. One of the reasons why I'm so heartened to see so many of you here today is because one of the courses I teach here at Vic have taught for the last five years is Management 101, Introduction to Management with all our our first year students. And in that course, I'm always going on and on at them. I don't know if they, you know, how much I do a good job of convincing them, but I'm trying to convince them that like bad management is like a really serious and widespread societal problem, you know? Um, and all of you, I can see, you know, there's a few nods there. All of you now that you, you have a bit of work experience and stuff, you, you, you really appreciate that point, right? I'm trying to get that across to our new students. And I think it lands for a lot of them. But to kind of illustrate that point to them, one of the things I ask, and I'm going to ask you here today, is it just a sort of show of hands thing. Like, put your hand up if you can think of a boss or supervisor or even maybe further back teacher that you've had who really like changed your life for the better and like improved things and made you feel happy and supported. Put your hand up if you can think of someone like that. Yeah, most people, right, can think of someone like that. Now I'm going to ask you the opposite. Put your hand up if you can think of a boss or a supervisor who made your life a living hell. Right? <laughs> so the thing with that exercise, it's not the number of hands that go up, right? It's relatively even across the group. It's the way the hands go up with that second question, right? It's this very immediate, emphatic, everyone has in their brain someone they can think of who ticks that second box in a really clear way, right? Unfortunately for the worse. And that to me is like, that's what sort of gets me out of bed on mornings like this, you know, like... Bad management, I do think, is a pretty serious problem. Um, It can ruin people's experiences of workplaces, it can ruin careers, and it can have a massive effect on people's lives. So I kind of think like one of my callings in life is to try and change that. Um, 
And it's, that's why it's so awesome to have so many of you here today. You know, despite the coldness of winter, despite the, the time of the day, you've all made the effort to come here and try and not be part, you know, try and not be that person that people think of when I ask them that second question and actually be in that first category. Because doing management well, I mean, I mean, one of the reasons why I think bad management is so pervasive is because it's hard. You know, it's a hard thing to do well, and people don't necessarily get good training in it. So today, thankfully, we have our two great panelists here, um, who I'm going to introduce in just a second, to give us some insights, share some insights with us about stepping into management and what it kind of takes to, um, I suppose, yeah, to do well in that tra transition, but also to kind of be realistic and think about the challenges and issues that can come up with that. So our two panelists that we have here today, um, to my left is Nick Barkley. Nick graduated from Victoria University of Wellington in 2013 with a BA in English Literature and History and is currently Manager of Ministerial Services at Department of Corrections. Um, Nick, did you want to tell us a little bit more about your current role and, and maybe briefly your path to getting there? Yeah, kia ora team. Um, so yeah, current role, Manager of Ministerial Services at the Department of Corrections. Um, so I currently manage a team of 21 staff um, through four direct reports. So one of those leaders of leaders, as they tend to call them. Um, fairly recent uh, to the management space in terms of the overall uh, career space. So I stepped into my first proper management role um, in 2020 in the heat of COVID-19. Um, so I was the deputy head of comms for um, the all of government group, so with the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. So as I always do, I apologise for the jingles, the yellow and white stripes and all that that we're all now afraid of. Um, that was unfortunately my team. Um, but that was stepping into my first, as I say, proper management role um, in an emergency management space. Um, and that was simply because um, I'd worked in a number of disasters uh, since around the 2010 mark, uh, while I was actually still at university, um, working with police back then uh, and then through my career in a number of different spaces. So when uh, it was called for, I was asked if I'd come in and help manage that function uh, with a team of 51 at its peak. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Thanks a lot for that, Nick. And then to Nick's left, we have Leanne Ung. Leanne graduated um, from this university in 2010 with a Bachelor of Commerce, or back then I think it would have been called a Bachelor of Commerce and Administration, same degree that I did, uh, majoring in HR and Marketing, um, and is now Executive HR at Habit Health. And Leanne, did you want to tell us a bit more about your current role in Habit Health and how you kind of yeah. got to there? Yeah. Kia ora everyone, lovely to be here. So I'm Leanne, um, as Ben mentioned. My current role is Executive HR for a healthcare company, Habit Health. Um, I graduated in 2010 and ever since then had a pretty solid uh, HR trajectory. So I honestly thought I'd get into marketing one day, but I just stayed in the HR lane, which I absolutely love. So I'm in my 11th year now and I've been managing for seven years. I started right at the bottom, so your HR administrator, then your HR advisor, senior advisor, manager, and now the, in, in the executive team. So it's been quite a, a rapid uh, journey, but super exciting and I love it. Awesome. Yeah, so lots of expertise here for us to draw on and tap into today. 
Um, and I realized too, like with all of you in the room, some of you might be current managers, some of you might be just on that cusp of stepping into those management positions, and other people it might be something that you really want to get into, but is maybe you know still earlier in your career. So the the way I've sort of framed up the questions is to to try and accommodate as many of those different places people are at as possible. Um, what we're going to do is basically have sort of 30 minutes of, of me running the show, asking questions, facilitating, and at the end we'll have 15 minutes because I'm sure all of you have burning questions of your own that you really want to ask uh, or just or hear from the room. So we'll do those at the end. Um, but in terms of my questions, another thing I'm, I'm you know, often talk with my students about is the fact that management is, is a term we can interpret in different ways. We can understand it as being lots of different things. But three of the most common for me, three of the most common ways we can understand management is as a role, like a formal position that you occupy in an organization. We can understand it as an activity, like something that you actually have to do day to day. And I think we can also understand it as an identity, like a way people kind of see themselves and something, you know, really thinking about the personal side of management with all that stuff. Um, so when it comes to stepping into to management, I think it's important to realize you're stepping into all three of those things, right? The role, the activity, and the identity. So I've split my questions across those three categories. Thank you, Firetruck. Um, so these first questions relate to management as a role. So I'm keen to hear, um, maybe starting with you, Nick, about how you actually landed your first management role. Like, how did that come about? Was it something you actively went looking for? Or was it something that kind of found you or that you were sort of uh, pushed into, for lack of a better phrase? Uh, so I think definitely for me, it was something that found me, something that I was necessarily pushed into. Um, so obviously, as I mentioned, my very first sort of proper management role was back in COVID, so March 2020, going all the way back then. Um, I was working at the time at the Public Service Commission in a principal advisor role, so looking at the public sector reforms that were coming through and how we were going to manage and push that out across um, the whole of the public service. Um, obviously, COVID hit uh, beginning of that year, um, and for want of a better phrase, shit hit the fan, um, and a group was called together through Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet to help run the show um, on the behest of the, the Prime Minister. Um, at the time, the director of comms at DPMC gave me a call and basically said, look, Nick, um, shit's hit the fan. Uh, we're pulling together a team. Uh, we want to bring you in. Um, and I was sitting there thinking, that's cool. Um, my usual role in natural disasters is to come in, set up processes for a couple of days, and then exit stage left and leave the team to do their stuff. That's sort of what I do. Um, but no, when I caught up with Catherine at the time, she said, no, actually, we want to bring you in. Um, as the, the Deputy Head of Comms, um, or the formal title under the Emergency Management, um, the Deputy National PIM, Public Information Management Manager. Um, thought about it at the time and decided actually why not, a uh, bit of a once-in-a-lifetime type opportunity, um, and said, yep, thinking I'd be there once again for a, a month or two, um, you know, and all of a sudden contract came across my desk six months um, out of the role, so... Um, very much just sort of a, a pushed into it, but I think at that point in my career, I was very much looking at what was next in terms of a management step for me. Um, so I'd been through a lot of different roles. I'd sort of been through all of um, comms. Um, so I'd been through all the roles online, digital, media, strategic. I'd sort of done my toolkit, my comms toolkit, as we call it, you know, sorted out all the different parts of and was kind of thinking, well, what's next for me? Management could be next. 
um, and this sort of just landed on my desk at the time. Yeah, and and for you, Leanne, it sounds like it was more of a steady progression. Is that fair to say? Like up, as you mentioned, up through those different HR, those sort of levels of seniority. Kind of. My first um, management role was a, a team leader for a small HR project team, um, and it actually started off with a, a with a complaint about the team. Um, I wasn't the manager at the time, but I was put on the spot. There was a complaint about the performance of our team, and I, I didn't know how to respond. I knew it wasn't about my specific individual input, but I knew perhaps what it could have been about in the team. And I remember walking away back to my desk feeling really embarrassed and wanting to drive change there. The, the manager at the time was quite distant, so I think for me that was the mindset shift where I was like, okay, not only do I care about my individual output, but I really care about the collective output too. Um, so I just took the initiative just to help drive change here um, and lift the performance um, for those around us that are relying on us. And I guess senior management at the time saw the value in that um, and then officially introduced the role. So it was a seamless transition. And for both of you, thinking about those very first management roles that you had, um, were there any features of those first roles that you think made that step up into management uh, easier and or harder for you? I'll leave that with, with either of you to answer. I think uh, one thing for me that made it easier was, um, and, and I mean, it is for most people in their career anyway, was it was the subject matter that I was used to um, in terms of comms um, and that side of things. But what made it even easier, which is difficult for most people uh, because it was, was it, we were in an emergency type situation. So we were effectively building the ship as we flew. So the ability for me to create the role and do what I needed to in the role was sort of free for me to do it compared to the role that I'm currently in in my previous role at uh, Corrections, which was in media, where you're coming in and you're backfilling a person that's previously been in the role and it's already an established role. So I had the easier part of it being that I could create the role the way that I wanted to and deliver it the way that I wanted to, um, but uh, which made it easier, but also in a way made it harder because if you fail, it's all on you because there is nothing for you to fall back on. There's no processes, there's, there's no nothing... Um, it's basically you and, and you setting it up. Mm, I'll answer the hard one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What made it hard? Um, I think not initially having uh, a safe space to express your people management frustrations um, because managers aren't perfect and you are allowed to get frustrated and it's really important that you share that um, and bounce around ideas with someone otherwise it can get lonely quite quickly and you feel isolated so find a buddy you know you, you'll definitely have other managers around you or even ask your one-up manager as to what you could do there but a safe space is really important and so I kind of figured that out a little bit later but I would say that's what made it hard in those initial stages. And when you did figure it out, was that in the form of having like, did you manage to find like a mentor or someone more senior to kind of guide you along? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I think it was just a, a bit of a staff room bump. It was like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, when, how's your team going? And it just grew on from there. Was there anything that, that sort of, because people often talk about if they haven't had management positions in the, in the past, when they do get their first one and they kind of, it's like peeking behind the curtain of a stage show, you know, and it's like, ah, oh, this is kind <laughs> of like, what happens here? And and sometimes that can be for the better in the sense you see like, you know, maybe um, 
the amount of work or whatever or, or attention that goes into managing whatever it is. Sometimes though, it can also be for the worse in the sense you see things that you're like, ah, oh, I didn't, th- I thought, you know, managers were sort of above that or maybe better than that or that wasn't something that really happened here. Does any of that resonate with either of you? Like when you did peek behind that curtain in that first role, did you see anything that kind of surprised you about management? I think for me it came back to, and as, as you mentioned at the beginning, when you have a bad manager, uh, you know, and a bad manager really sort of sets the tone. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd sort of been through and, and had this manager in one of my first jobs, and he was really, really bad, but I just thought he was really, really bad because he was really, really busy. And that was my thought of it, was he just didn't have time to deal with me, didn't have time to talk to with me, mentor me, that type of thing. So I was sitting there going, cool. So when I step into this management role, I'm going to be under the pump 24-7. I'm going to be constantly called upon from all left, right and centre, not only from my own team, but from managers, my managers and, and my exec and all that. I think once I peeked behind that curtain, I actually realised that actually that wasn't the case and that he couldn't have been that busy because being my first management role, being in the emergency management and you're constantly on the go anyway, I still had the time to sit down and chat with my team and ask them how they're doing and have that conversation with them and what do they need and help them. Um, And it was very much that look at it going, actually, a manager can be one of two things, is either they can be in it for themselves or they can be in it for their team. And my first manager, one of my first managers that was really, really bad, seemed to be in it for him. And he simply, from what I can only think of, he came in for the paycheck. You know, he came in, he sat down, he did the bare minimum, made it look like he was busy, popped off to meetings, um, you know, all the time and was constantly never there. So you never had the chance to chat with him. But then when I peeked behind the curtain, I was like, well, actually, if I set my day up right, I can find chunks of time where I can actually meet with my team. And if I make that conscious decision to meet with them I'm able to support them and help them going forward so it was looking at it going management isn't just running around and having meetings and constantly being absent it's around how you structure your day to um, to support your team in the right way and how they need it yeah it's great insight anything you'd add to that Uh, no I'll just echo what what Nick has said Um, time management is critical your organizational skills need to be top-notch and that's because you're not only looking after your individual output you you're responsible for a whole team now so you got to make sure that you can get around to everything and anyone yeah well that's sort of my questions my main questions about management as a role the next set of questions I have and maybe what everyone here is quite interested in knowing about is management as an activity. Like when it actually comes to doing management, what does that kind of look like? And, and if we want to do it well, what do we need to do? Um, so this first question, I actually asked our panelists to do a bit of a creative thinking beforehand. Um, and I, I asked them to come up with a metaphor for what it's been like to manage, manage others uh, and explain why that metaphor, they think it's a good fit. So, um, or maybe Leanne, we'll start with you. What's your what's your <laughs> metaphor for managing others, and and why do you think it it sums it up quite well? I, I had to think about this a lot, um, and I will preface it by saying this is going to probably come across a bit cringe, but I really relate to it because I love cooking. Um, but management to me is like cooking. You should have all the ingredients, and you got to put them all together to create something awesome. So. <clears throat> You've got to put it in the right order, give it the right setting, uh, treat it with love, and you should get the result you want. And when you have a, a missing ingredient or issues with ingredients, then 
you know that this may potentially compromise the outcome that you're after. So you're going to reassess, well, what alternatives can I do? Can I plan accordingly, differently, et cetera, et cetera, um, to still and try and achieve the best outcome possible. And I think too, like, uh, yeah, the cooking metaphor is really great because it also emphasizes that there's a degree of creativity in management, right? I mean, different chefs and different cooks have, you can have the same basic dish, but everyone has their own recipe and their own take and their own way that they go about it that leads to a sort of, it, it still can lead to great outcomes, but they're different, right? And, mm. and so you have that idea of sort of um, contingency thinking and having different styles. I also like, this is partly because when I was cooking on last weekend, I nearly burnt our kitchen down. But there's there's an element of risk in cooking, right? So there is a don't ask me how that happened. It's a long story, but there's an element of risk, right? You can you can burn the food. You can and coming back to to Nick's point, if you don't quite if you're not paying attention, things can can go awry. So I really like that metaphor for it as well. Are there any? If you think, Leanne, about that metaphor, the cooking metaphor is. Does that do you see that stuff, those themes we talked about in any way in particular experiences you've had in your management career? Oh yeah. You always got missing ingredients or <laughs> ingredients that have issues with it. So you're constantly trying to pull everything together and do the best you can and that's constantly reassessing as well. So Yeah. Nick, what was your metaphor? I, I did the same. It took me a bit to think about it and all that and I came down to something simple and I was like, My hand, actually. My hand is a pretty good metaphor for management in terms of your hand has a lot of different functions, has a lot of different fingers, but they're all slightly different. You know? And in order to try and do a task, you've got to get all your fingers to do the thing you need it to do. Now, that can be done in two ways, as intuitively. So you go to pick up a cup, you don't even think about picking up a cup because that's, you know, it's just part of what you do. And sometimes that's what your team is. Sometimes your team just does what it needs to do together in a nicely cohesive way. But there are other times where you've got to try and force your hands to do something you know, that it doesn't necessarily intuitively do. And you've got to really think about it and focus on it and make sure that all the different parts of your hands are doing the right things and moving in the right directions. Um, now, as part of that as well, each of them, each of your fingers kind of has a different function. You know, sometimes thumbs up, good work type thing. Your middle finger also has a different view when you pull that one. You know, your pinky finger, if you hold it out as you drink your cup of tea, makes you look a certain way. So they all have a slightly different function, but they're all there and they're all connected to the main part. You know, they're all connected together. And whether you call yourself the thumb or the hand or the rest of the body as a manager, you've got to control your hand in a way and lead your hand to do what you need to do. So that was sort of my thinking of it was in terms of management. Um, sometimes you lose a finger. You can't necessarily grow it back unless you're nuclear or otherwise. But, you know, sometimes you lose some function in your finger. You, you sprain it. You know, it's therefore sick. And therefore the rest of your fingers have to do what your whole hand would normally do beforehand. And that's what management is as well, is you've got to work with what you've got um, and work through it. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really interesting distinction between how the people that we manage, you know, there is a there is a hive mind thing that can happen. And a lot of the the work that needs to be done can be done intuitively, but then often it needs that systematic drive in order to do something maybe that's new or challenging or unfamiliar, right? So I think that's a really cool observation. Um, diving in a little bit deeper, like if we think of those as our sort of broad framings for these questions about management as activity, what did either, either of you initially find was the most challenging thing about managing others? What was like the hardest part of it? 
I think for me was coming to the realization that each of my different direct reports was different and that management is not just as one size fits all approach. So you can't just take how you manage this person and transfer it to this person and this person and this person. Because as we know, when we go through university as well, and as we've gone through school, is learning is a, is a different way of doing things. So some people are audio, you know, oral, oral listeners. Some people are, um, you know, reading. They like to see things. And exactly the same with management as well, is each person is different and how you manage them is different. Um, and when I first started in the role, you know, you have a chat with all your direct reports and you go, how, how do you like to be managed? You know, do you want to catch up once a week, once every second week, once a month? Do you just want to not have a, a catch up at all? Because we sit right next to each other. And if you've got a problem, you're just going to reach over and have a chat with me. Um, and every person was different. I had one person that goes, actually, I'll, I want to just have a touch base with you five minutes every morning just to make sure that I'm going in the right direction. And I'm like, cool, that's fine chunk that time off in my diary. The next person came along going, actually, I'm, I work better alone, so can I just come to you when I've got an issue? Um, and if you've got an issue, you come to me. Let's not set it. Let's not make a formal meeting about it or anything like that. Um, and that was, every, that was different with every person I had. But then also with those situations as well, they're also different. So when you have a catch-up with a person for five minutes, it's different than a person that wants to catch up for 45 minutes and have a conversation because someone just wants to go, am I going on the right track? Versus someone else is going, actually, I want to take a next step in my career. I want to build on these skills. So let's have a proper in-depth conversation about what I can do to get myself to where I need to be. Um, so I think that was that difficult part was understanding that, yeah, the way I was managed by my managers worked for me in some ways. Um, notwithstanding the bad manager, but that I can't replicate what, how I like to be managed, therefore on the people that I began managing. Yeah, so like self-awareness, right, is quite important there and being able to critically reflect and realise that what worked for you isn't necessarily going to work for everyone. Um, Leanne, what was, what was it that you sort of found most challenging? Yeah, um, probably I definitely underestimated how much you need to be organised and how much this needs to evolve with you as your <coughs> role gets bigger and bigger. So I remember in my more junior days, I'd be that post-it person, the handwritten to-do list, and that wasn't working anymore. So I moved completely onto electronic. Um, how you manage your time is incredibly important. Um, as I said earlier, you need to be all over how you distribute your time so you can get around to everything and everyone um, because the role can be really, really demanding. So in order to stay on top of it, you know, look after your own well-being um, and your team organisation. So, yeah, that was the most challenging is, is learning that. And if I change something up every, every year, I would say. Is there anything, any specific tools or techniques you use these days to help you that you've learnt over the years with the organisation side of things? You mentioned the, you know, the handwritten list was your starting point. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I still use handwritten <laughs> lists myself, as I'm sure many people do. But like, are there any other things you use these days to help? Yeah, now I got rid of the notebook because you need a pen. Sometimes you forget your notebook. You're always running around, so it's all online now for me. Um, I love uh, Microsoft uh, Note. Note is it called Note? Yeah, it's got a million tabs, so um, yeah, super easy to use. You can sync it up to your phone as well. So if you're out and about on your phone and there's something that you need to jot down, um, that all syncs up and syncs to your Outlook as well. So yeah. super efficient. One of the interesting ideas I've come across by this guy called Cal Newport. I don't know if anyone here has heard of him. He's this 
funny enough, a computer science academic in the US, but he's got this sort of obsession with productivity and things. And um, he wrote this book called Deep Work, which is a really great read. And it's basically about how in our modern lives, we actually, in, in most workplaces, because so much time is taken up with meetings and communicating and all of these different sort of busy work, we actually, it's hard to sometimes to find time to do the focus, reflective stuff that we've kind of talked about. Um, so he kind of makes a point of being really deliberate about your scheduling and blocking out time for, you know, really focused deep work where it's free of distractions as much as you can within the constraints of your, your workplace. Um, and, and doing that every week, like as a habit, right? Planning out your time so that you can fit in things like, you know, meeting with um, with people or taking time to care for and check in with, with uh, the people you're managing. And I'd say on that one as well, and I've just learned it through my role uh, because of what I do, the afternoon is the best time to block out that time. Um, simply for me, because a lot of what happens is people have last minute thoughts. And as they're writing a paper or they're doing something, it's always, always tends to be last minute. Um, so if you're ever blocking out time in your diary, if it works for you, for mine it's 2 to 5 p.m. every day and it's blocked out forever. So it's just a reoccurring thing in my diary forever. I don't even know if it has an end date, but 2 to 5 is my admin desk time as I call it. And my whole team sees my diary and they know that that's when I'm going to be at my desk um, if they need to chat with me. But also if they need anything signed off, that's when I'm going to be available to do it. Whereas the rest of the day is that place for meetings, for catch-ups um, and all that. And it works really, really well because other people will then see that in your diary and they won't, unless they're your manager, book that time for themselves um, in a way. So it is a really, really great way to do it. Um, and I think the other thing that I do as part of that as well, particularly jumping into a management role, is categories on your calendar are a really, really great thing because what you can do is show what's really, really important versus what's necessarily not. So a quick glance at my calendar, I can tell what the important meetings are I have for the day and what the not so important meetings are. So if something new comes in, I'm able to quickly shift things around if I need to because I've got that visual cue because you can't just sit there and just constantly review your calendar four times a day because you don't have the time to do it. Yeah, no, I think it's really good insight. Um, is also can be also really effective for allowing the people that you're managing to have time in their schedules and things to actually get their work done, you know, because talking to people who work in large organizations, a lot of the time that's what they, they complain about. Like I've got all of this, these meetings and other things, and it's really hard to actually find time to get the work you want me to get done done. So I think having that, that structure and that care in your planning can really help with that. Um, Another a sort of final question on management as an activity. We talked about what you found most challenging. Um, on a slightly slightly different note, kind of related, what's something that's most surprised you about managing others if you think back through the time that you've been doing it? Uh, Nick touched on this a little bit earlier, but definitely surprised at how different everyone is. But that's, that's the fun part of management is getting to know your people because they've all got different backgrounds, different talents, different needs, different behaviours, different um, motivations. So yeah, getting to know your people is definitely the, the fun and most surprising part for me. And I think building on that is even the smallest little things can make a big difference in your staff member's life. So when I first started with my, my first role at Corrections in the media manager role, I was told by my boss, you've got this one staff member, he's a bit of trouble. He's, he's been difficult to manage for the last couple of years. He's, he's not all that you know engaged in all that sort of stuff. And I was like, that's cool. Coming into it thinking, cool, here's someone that I'm going to have to work with quite hard in order to get him on track and all that. 
um, turned out that something just as simple as challenging him to the three strikes on the Stuff website every day to see who got better, who could get the, the seven in order on three strikes, was enough to slowly start turning him around and being part of the team. So it was simple. It was between us to begin with. No one else knew it was happening. Um, I'd flick him at 12 o'clock every day. I'd jump through going, hey, mate, I got second go today. Um, you know, and he'd pop back going, I got third, oh, shit. And then the next day he'd come back going, I got number one, got it on the first go, and I'd come back with the number three type thing. So that slowly started building his rapport for the rest of the team. Now he talks with the whole team, which are now all females, um, about Love Island. Uh, you know, he'll jump in and have a conversation about makeup because they're all talking about their trip to Mecca um, and all that sort of stuff. But it was something small that changed his perception of work and made him think, actually, this is an all right place to be in. And my manager's willing to have fun with me, um, you know, and actually have something that's not work related that we have that then builds on his ability to open up a bit more in the workplace. So it's something even as small as that was surprising to me was to change the way a person worked completely. And it was noticeable. People mentioned it saying, hey, he's doing a lot better. Hey, he's a lot more, you know, he's a lot more happier today. Um, and then he slowly started opening up to me about why he wasn't necessarily, you know, happy when I first started type thing. So small things do matter. Um, and that was really surprising to me. Yeah, and I, maybe that kind of ties in with that point I mentioned earlier about because bad management is is quite common, that people can be affected by that, right? It can really alter their assumptions and their sort of general attitude towards management and being managed. So that if they do come across someone who does even just a few simple things better and is nicer and more supportive, it can actually have an outsized impact, right, and really change um, their experience of their work. Yeah, so you're right. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily take take a huge amount to have that effect. The last questions I have um, are about management as a sort of an identity, but really trying to get at like the personal side of management. Um, and I'm curious, I know this is something people often struggle with uh, in workplaces. How, like if at all, did becoming a manager change your relationships with others at work? And And as part of that, I'm kind of thinking, you know, how did it, maybe did it shift things from being co-workers or colleagues to then having that sort of position of, of seniority? How did that affect things? And, and what are some of the steps you take to potentially manage that or deal with that? Um, in my first role, yeah, I do remember it being a little bit bumpy because I was a peer to manager. Um, but they also know you slightly on a, on a personal level too, and they get over it. Um, people, you should be surrounded by people that will celebrate your success um, and understand that you've got new responsibilities now. Um, with an HR lens on it, I don't often see this being a, a major issue, but I think you've just got to think about also uh, being conscious of any conflict of interest. So if you're in a, a group that um, loves to socialise and always in a social setting and you know that's people's safe space to vent about work perhaps that's not a good idea for you to participate in that in the manager role because of the conflict of interest so I would recommend you pull back from that a little bit. And I think building on that as well that was the one big thing for me was obviously you come from an environment where you are involved in every social situation 
um, and I'd had previous managers that would hang around for the whole thing and potentially get themselves in trouble um, because they were they were hanging around for a bit too long. Um, what I do now is I have a very clear set thing in my mind where if we do have something like the Christmas party at the end of the year or we're going out to lunch because it's uh, the midwinter or something, I always have a set point in my head where I'm like, cool, that's the point where I leave, you know, or that's the point where I stop. So, you know, at the Christmas party, you know, I'll have a beer with them. I'll have a beer with the team you know, to thank them and all that. But after that one beer, in my head, that's it, stopped. There's no more for me. And not long after that is usually when I leave the situation as well. So um, they sh- they can see that I'm willing to socialise, I'm willing to have a good time with them. But I also am aware that they need to have their time, as Leanne said, to vent. But also as well, you don't get yourself in a sicky situation where you see something happening that you then have to act on um sort of thing so it's what i always tell my team i'll I'll come along for one or two but that's it i'm then gone and you guys carry on um i always joke with them that at that point my responsibility ends so anything that happens after that is their own problem whereas if i I believe that if i'm still there when something goes wrong it's ultimately my responsibility because i'm the manager of um and therefore should be focused a lot more on what they're doing and, and how they're acting um yeah. Yeah. No good insights. I'm conscious too of time and, and people needing to get on with work and things. So I think at this point we'll open it up to the floor. As I said, I'm sure many of you have burning questions you want to ask. Um, so by all means, it can be related to things we've talked about. It could be you know something completely different. Any questions from that people want to ask or talk about? Yeah. Um, so I'm a new manager and I'm looking for some advice on managing someone remotely. So the person that I manage is based in Christchurch, I'm here in Wellington. I'll most likely have another report who will be potentially not based in Wellington as well. And that's something that I'm finding quite difficult is how to build that rapport and relationship and things through teams. Mm -hmm. Um, So any advice on on managing remote teams would be great. Yeah. Cool. So I manage, uh, out of my 21, there are three, two, two or three. Um, two that I directly manage, a couple more outside that work remotely. Um, I think a big thing for me in in building that rapport and, and keeping connected with them is just ha- making sure that you have the conversations with them that aren't necessarily structured. You know, so yes, you have your set meetings where you catch up with them, and you may have your daily startup and then your regular catch up with them. But even just a simple phone call. Um, you know, just to check in to see how things are going because you've seen there's a lot of emails heading that person's way. Um, or a big thing for me through one of my direct reports is she deals with a lot of the things that goes across to the minister's office and if, all of that needs to come through me. And at some points, my inbox is so crazy that, you know, so just a simple Teams call for a quick five minutes going, hey, how are you doing? Is there anything you need from me? Is there anything you're waiting on from me that I can do now to make your job easier? because you do that with the staff that are right beside you, because they're right there, and they'll tap you on the shoulder and go. But when you've got someone that's working remotely, sometimes they get so focused in their own thing, because they don't have the team around them to sort of keep them on, not necessarily keep them on track, but you know where they can ask those questions or otherwise. Um, so just reaching out to them from time to time doesn't need to be the set time every day, just every so often, or even just a quick text, um, and all that sort of stuff works, and I've found that works really well. Um, depending on your organisation as well, bringing them down or up every so often or you going for a visit every so often is a really good thing as well. Not all organisations can do that in terms of cost, um, but it is something that is quite easy to do in order to sort of slowly start building that rapport and then understanding what they do. 
So don't just go down there and meet up with them for half an hour and then go off and do your own work. Actually spend the whole day with them and go, cool, I want you to show me what you do and talk me through how you do it. And so clear your day in order to do that with them. They'll feel a lot better because they then understand that you're willing to work with them and understand what they're doing. Anything from you, Leanne, on managing remote yeah. team well, members? Congrats on becoming a manager. <laughs> um, I, I manage remotely too, and I'd put the question to them, just acknowledging that I am managing you remotely, um, give them the opportunity to, to feed into what that could look like as well. Um, I found when I was uh, communicating with those I manage remotely that I was only pinging them when I wanted something. So make sure that that's always in balance, that you just ping them just to say, hey, hope you're having a good day. Hey, hope you're keeping warm. Those little things that not necessarily have to link to because you want something from them. Don't forget about that because it's very easy for to manage staff on site, right? Because you bump into them in the corridor in the staff room and stuff. And that's what the remote staff um, miss out on. Yeah. Other questions or just observations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, at the back. Um, did any of you two find when initially stepping into the manager role um, that there was some sort of, maybe you felt imposter syndrome because you felt like you had to know more than, you know, your peers or you were promoted over or like how much of it is sort of knowing more than others and how much is, is it like because you're a good leader, you can lead others? That's a hard question. <laughs> um, I can relate to that, yeah. Um, I would say I've been quite young in my trajectory. I'm the youngest on the exec team, so I feel imposter syndrome quite a lot. Um, but you've got to surround yourself in the right environment, the people who are there to support and mentor you, making sure you know what your help channels are if you need that support. Um, and... I guess at the end of the day, it's important for me to, to be able to say that I've done my best with what I have. Yeah. I think on that one, you're, you're going to get that at both those thoughts. You're there because you've got the experience and the knowledge, but also you're there because of the leader. That imposter syndrome pops in all the time for me. Um, you know, my current role in men's services, I've worked with ministers' offices, but I don't know the OAA or the Privacy Act from a bar of salt. Um, you know, it's not my expertise. It's not what I grew up learning. Um, but a big part of the initial part of stepping into my role was understanding, and I've done it through all my roles anyway, is you have a team of professionals and they're professionals, so you hire them to do a job. And your job is not there necessarily to, to micromanage, but also you bring them on for their skills and their ability to do the job. So I've got a, a two principal advisors that report into me at the moment. They are experts in the OIA and the Privacy Act. So if I've got any questions on it, I go to them to ask them or I get them to do things because that's part of what being a manager is, is all about as well, is understanding when you need to get your team to do things because they're more skilled at it than you versus when you then need to step in um, and do things. So I know for me, uh, that management side of things, recruitment, getting more resources, budgeting, all that side of things, that's where a lot of my, my strengths lie. So when it comes to recruitment, I'll help them out with that and show them how to do, you know, how to cut corners where need be or what paperwork should they fill out now, which saves them 20 minutes in the future type thing. Whereas I know if there's a question around the OAA, I get them to provide me the advice so that I can make a, a judgment call based on their advice. So you'll always have imposter syndrome. I reckon I'll have it for the rest of my life, to be honest, every probably next role I step into but it's just simply the way it is. I'd say too, I actually 
because a lot of the it's sort of an area I do a bit of research in. A lot of the early research on imposter syndrome and how we think about it in popular culture is it's a bad thing. Like imposter syndrome, bad. We shouldn't have it. It makes us feel not nice, you know, which is totally, to a degree, is very true. But a lot of the actual current research on imposter syndrome is showing that a degree of those thoughts and feelings actually makes you do a better job because you have this sort of inner sense of needing to prove yourself and prove yourself to others, right? Obviously, at the extreme, it can be really destructive and, and not good. But a degree of that, as you said, Nick, you're probably going to always have a degree of that. That's probably why you're good at your job, right? It, it, in, in a sense, it, it fires you. It stops you from being complacent. So it's important to keep a balanced perspective, but I think important to realize that as well. Other um, questions? Yeah. So just a comment on that. It's uh, imposter syndrome. I think it's a good thing as well because it's actually a sign of uh, self-awareness in leaders, uh, managers. Uh, my question is, uh, with health and well-being, mental health and well-being being a hot topic, uh, especially for recent events as well, um, I've got my strategies, but I'm curious, what are Nick and Ian, your strategies in terms of uh, looking after your mental health well-being and putting that, that parameters and barriers where it needs to be with the people that you work with, um, just so that you're looking after yourself? Yeah, it's a great question. Protecting my time, um, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and understanding what your non-negotiables are. Um, so exercise is a non-negotiable for me. I have to fit that in in order for me to hit the reset button and come in fresh for everyone. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's around setting that time and that timeline and understanding yeah, what the non-negotiables are. For me, I have a dog. Um, you know, she's a two and a half year old German Shepherd. Twice a week she goes to doggy daycare. Um, you know, and I know that on those days, I have to leave work by quarter past five at the absolute latest so that I can then go pick her up by six o'clock or else I pay an extra $50, uh, you know, in order to do that. So, um, you know, if I'm late even by a minute, that's an extra $50. So in my head, I'm constantly going on those days, that's cool, I've got to leave by that time. And that sort of helps to sort of, uh, you know, booking your day. But a big part of it for me as well um, is focusing on my team's mental health and well-being. And for me, when they're in a good space, I'm in a good space. Uh, when they're not in a good space, that puts extra pressure on me as their manager in order to sort of manage them. So even simple things like on a Friday afternoon, they all know dead on 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, I walk around everyone that's in the office and goes, what's on your to-do list and what do you need to do to get out now, effectively? Because in my view, getting them out early for the weekend they have an early start to their weekend, they can have a really good weekend and they'll be fired ready to go on, on a Monday. But they know that every, every Friday at four o'clock, I'm going to ask that question if they're in the office. Um, and it's a very key thing going, by me doing that for myself, um, they're also seeing from their point of view as well that they can put their mental health and wellbeing um, forefront as well, which, as I said, makes my life easier in the long term because you're not having to manage someone that's, that's having some trouble or otherwise. Um, in the long run. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great strategy. It's almost like building lots of little tricks and, and nudges, right, into your sort of routine and both for yourself but also for the people you're managing. We probably have time for one more question. Oh, there's a lot. I'm sure too. By the way, we'll, we'll be hanging around after this, so there's plenty of chance to ask one-on-one -on -one questions. Um, I might just go with Vicar since he had his hand up first. Uh, we'll Line from a good to the bad one, and also how, what tips you can like give to as a generic one. 
how to remain on the good side and not shifting towards the other side. Yeah, that's it. Just to to um, so the whole room can hear that question. It's a really good one because. You know, it's not performing as a manager is not like performing as a sprinter. It's really clear. If you're good at sprinting, you run the 100 meters in a certain time, right? How do you know if you're a good manager? There's a lot more ambiguity and subjectivity to that. So, yeah, I'm really keen to hear from Nick and Leanne, like, how do you know if you're doing a decent job? Feedback. So whether you source that yourself directly or whether the organisation runs an employee engagement survey, um, feedback is, is really important, even just in a casual setting. You know, how's your week been? How have you found the work that we're doing? Is there anything I can do to support? What does that look like? Yeah. And I think at a macro level, and it kind of comes back to that whole thing around, you know, we all know we've had a bad manager type thing. There's, there's a motto I've always had going through my career is you never leave a bad job, you leave a bad manager. You know, so you can be in the worst job in the world, but have the most amazing manager and you will stick around for that manager because the way they make you feel, the support they provide you in your role and all that, even though the job is shit, you'll stick around for them. So at a macro level for me, that's been a big sort of focus around the teams that I manage is going, are people leaving? Hmm. You know, and what are the reasons for leaving? So. No, like, if you've got a high turnover, that is a big sign. Yeah. <laughs> you might be doing something wrong. Yeah. So the feedback from the top to down or from down to up also would be helpful. Uh, 360. Everywhere. Would be optimal, yeah. Because your, your manager is going to see it as well. So they're going to see, especially if they work in the same environment as you, they're going to see how your team is performing under you. And if they have problems or if they see problems, they should really raise it with you and, and let you know. But in the same way, if your team aren't performing um, you know, there should be that culture, that environment for them to be able to go, actually, hey, can we change the way that we're doing things in terms of the, the management of me or, or otherwise? I think we'll probably wrap up there just in the interest of time. But as I said, we will be hanging around here at the end. So you're more than welcome to come up and chat with us afterwards. Um, yeah, first, I mean, I'd just like to thank Nick and Leanne for coming along today, share their insights Thanks so much for, for getting here this early in the morning um, to do this with us. And of course, thanks so much to all of you for coming along. I hope you've found this you know, insightful. As I said, I know there's a lot of variation in this room in terms of where people are at in this sort of management journey, but hopefully you've been able to take a few things away from what we've done today. Um, and yeah, ultimately, like I said at the beginning, I think it's all part of that sort of thing of of being the, the people that, that other people think of when I ask them that first question about good managers and not being that you know one everyone has in mind when I ask them the second question about bad management. Uh, but seeing so many of you here today dedicated towards becoming better managers gives me a lot of hope for the future of, of management in Wellington. So I think um, with so many of you here, I think we're doing something right. So yeah, thanks so much to all of you for coming and feel free to come up and chat with us afterwards if, you, if you'd like to. Yeah, thank you. Oh, one thing I forgot to do. I am the director for postgraduate study in the School of Management. So if anyone, <laughs> shameless plug, if anyone is interested in the, something like that, feel free to talk with me afterwards as well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> to stay up to date with our latest podcasts, subscribe using your preferred podcast provider. Thank you to Takoki New Zealand School of Music alumni, Stefan Patton and Kenyon Shanky, for the use of their music. From Teheringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington, Haere Ra.